Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 109. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, sparks flying, calamitous calculations and the mysterious case of cats in the cleavage. But first, huge thanks to you all for your very kind wishes for our 10th birthday. And much merriment regarding our idea for 10 shows in 10 weeks to celebrate. That's gone so well. I was going to say with you guys and Siri as accountability partners, how can we fail? Easily. You need a bigger stick. You know what? Maybe a little wager is in order to keep us accountable. The walking up the street naked thing again. Oh, good grief, no. Moving swiftly along. We better had folks might be eating as they listen. <laughs> anyway, an important update from the last show. You expect me to remember that far back? <laughs> as it happens, I do. I mentioned Downey and the paddle licensing model. Good news. Version 3 this is of Downey, allows you to deactivate a license. You go to the Downey menu, so it says Downey 3, and there is an option straight off there for deactivate license. However, huge caveat. That's fine as long as you can get to it, i.e. your Mac didn't die, you can deactivate. Personally speaking, I still far, I think it's far better to have an online management of licenses. And I know I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again, similar to Microsoft, because it's the best system I've used. But you can deactivate, so it's much better than nothing. Talking of Microsoft, when I first got Office 2011, so that was before um, 365, I remember you saying to me about putting your license, not putting your license, but putting the software on and your machine dying. And what happened to my laptop? Oh, yes, it died. It did die. Mm. Anyway, continuing with uh, Microsoft, some news from Microsoft regarding Skype. 15 years after Skype launched, they're adding call recording. Sort of. That's what I thought. The new system relies on third-party apps to do the actual recording, and those mentioned include XSplit, Wirecast, and vMix. You'll also need to switch to a new mode inside Skype called Content Creator Mode. The thing that struck me is that Skype for Business has had recording since it was called Link, so for many years. And it's not a simple transfer of that technology, given that it's relying on third-party apps. I thought it was such a weird solution to something that isn't really a problem. Or it wasn't until Skype broke the previous recording API a while back. And I can see the benefits of a better integrated system with third-party apps. But why not provide your own when the technology is already there, you know, from Skype for Business? Yeah, Skype for Business does have the ability to record a Skype-based meeting without requiring third-party software. It'll record the audio from all attendees. It'll record any screen sharing and any instant message conversation. And what it does is it generates an MP4 file. And the Mac Skype for Business client, which isn't very good to start with, doesn't currently support recording. There's also privacy issues. In some countries, it's a legal obligation that you have to tell the meeting attendees that the meeting is being recorded. In fact, when someone clicks the start a recording button, it pops up a notification that someone is recording, but that notification disappears after just a few seconds. So back to this update relying on third party software. They fail to mention, just picking one here, that Wirecast is almost $1,000 per computer. Uh, yeah, didn't you buy that? 
<clears throat> I did, but moving swiftly on before you consider the price for too long. Um, it ignores apps like Audio Hijack with their now they've just added a new licensable recording engine. It's called Ace, the audio capture engine. Now, Audio Hijack captures any audio. So if you decided to use that, you'd only need to know one application, Audio Hijack, and how it works um, to be able to record anything you wanted. But all of the options that they proffered were all paid solutions anyway. I actually use Call Recorder. I've used it for, for ages. Um, if I actually go back through my history, you'll find all my recordings of... Um, what they call them, uh, customer service calls to, uh, to Asda and I've been complaining. I've got plenty of those, but most of them are just bleeped out. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Do you remember EE when they were orange? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> one yeah. day I must get that one out. <laughs> that will be bleeps. It would. It would. That was probably the only time I've ever been that angry on a customer service call. But I, I was. I was not pleased. So as I was saying, I've got my complete call history in there. I use Call Recorder as well. I use that as my backup um, pretty much because it's automatic. You can configure it in such a way that every time a call comes in or you make a call, it automatically starts recording so I don't have to remember to do it. But I must admit, Audio Hijack is my primary recorder because it's just much more configurable. Well, let's see how it all pans out. I know they're previewing it this week at NAB and planning to release it in the summer. In other news, Twitter are at it again. Twitter Apocalypse 2. Do you think that's Twittergate? It could be. Yes, Twittergate 2. Uh, they're deprecating an API that powers notifications and auto-updating streams in third-party clients. Now, all this was due for the 19th of June. Um, the proverbial hit the air conditioning and um, they backed down pretty quickly in terms of halting the rollout of the changes for 90 days after that date. What I don't understand is why do they feel the need to constantly tinker with something that works most of the time? I have no idea. No, me neither. Rogue Amoeba, interestingly, instantly created a presence on micro.blog, um, a micro-blogging and social networking service. Now, it's a paid service. I went off to have a look at it. It's $2 per month to pipe your own RSS feed to them. And it's $5 a month to have them host your micro blog. They've got a client, a client app, and you can follow feeds in exactly the same way that you follow accounts on Twitter. I thought it was very clean. There's no adverts and stuff because it's a paid for service. I just think it's unlikely to replace Twitter. No matter how much better it is, I'm just not seeing it replace Twitter. No, it's like Facebook. Though your Twitter, Facebook, they're all too entrenched in, in the public's mindset. That's that's where all the celebs are. True. Um, I was actually thinking it's our 10-year Twitter anniversary on the 8th of May. So we've been there a while, although I'm finding myself using it less. I've not used it for a while, but I have been back on it this last week or so. I think the dynamics just changed. But as I've said, Twitter really do seem to be doing their best to kill the platform, the platform as we've known it for over those 10 years. The Twitter clients had a token limit applied back in 2012. Now, I had to look that up because I didn't think it was that long ago. I, I was convinced it was like 2014-ish. But according to my research, 2012, that was when they introduced a maximum of 100,000 tokens per client app, which... It kind of died a death. I mean, nobody mentions that anymore, do they? No. 
And I was thinking a, a Twitter client as popular as Tweetbot has got to have reached that limit, surely. Anyway, as I was researching this, it turned out last week that another client has been pulled and it's called Flamingo, or it was. It was a Twitter client for Android and it neared the limit of the 100,000 tokens. And because of that, they the developers had to pull it from the Play Store. Now, like I say, if an Android app, which I've never heard of, I know there probably isn't an equivalent of Flamingo for iOS, not that I know of, but I've certainly never heard of it. I do have Android apps and I do have Twitter clients on there, but that's not one that I've heard of. Like I say, it makes you wonder how Tweetbot and Twitterific managed to keep going. They must have a different deal with Twitter. I guess they must, yeah. Well, it wouldn't make sense otherwise because, you know, if, if an average user's got one or two accounts, but maybe five or six devices, you know, you're multiplying the number of tokens that are needed. It's not just one token per user per app, is it? It's every time you install it. I know when I install Twitterific um, and Tweetbot, I could be putting sort of six or eight accounts in there. And I've certainly never seen it come up and talk about tokens. So, yes, Twitter shooting themselves in the foot again. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out as well. But something that left me reeling during our hiatus and falling squarely into the category of it's April the 1st, isn't it? Couldn't not cover this. Amazon announced Amazon Key. Now, there was much fuss about this at the time, which was just before Christmas, and not a word since. Much like that car reflecting thing on your windscreen, do you remember? I remember that one, yeah. Uh, yeah, people going crazy, they must have one, and it, and it reflected like um, oh, map information and traffic information onto your windscreen. That vanished without a trace as well. Anyway, if you're blissfully unaware of this little nugget of hilarity, I'll summarise for you. You buy an Amazon Key in home kit which consists of a security camera, a smart lock and an app. And it comes with free fitting in the United States, as ever. We're lucky if we can get it to the front door, but that's another story. Now, the service relies on Amazon's new cloud cam and a compatible smart lock. The camera's the hub and it connects to the internet via your home Wi-Fi. And the camera talks to the lock over something called Zigbee, a wireless protocol. And this wireless protocol is used by many home, uh, smart home devices, including Amazon Echo. Now, the plan is for this entire thing. The courier arrives with a package for in-home delivery. They scan the barcode and that sends a request to Amazon's cloud. If everything checks out, the cloud grants permission by sending a message back to the camera, which starts recording. The courier is prompted on their app swipes the screen and your door unlocks. The courier drops off the package, relocks the door with another swipe and leaves. You then get a notification your delivery's arrived and here's the fun bit. You also get a short video clip showing the drop-off. I assume to prove the house was still standing when they left. Now it just made me smile, thinking how could this work in the UK? Hmm. Yodel have yet to make it to within our postcode, much less the front door. And Amazon aren't much better. So I think we need an impromptu shopping with Elaine piece here, detailing my agonies with couriers. That's a Mac Bytes 10 all on its own. No, no, really. I actually have a much more appropriate story of why this is not a good idea. My first job was managing a shop. And uh, I did this from the silly, silly o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. 
<laughs> Can you imagine me up at five o'clock in the morning? Yeah, it, mainly I hadn't gone to bed at that stage, otherwise it would never be happening. Anyway, the papers, the newspapers would be delivered before I arrived. And what started happening was they were being rifled and stolen while they were unattended in the porch of the shop. So the shopkeeper had shutters installed. Cutting edge technology of their day, they were. There was only one thing to remember. When you pull them down, you put the papers inside and you pull these shutters down, put the locks back in the right way round. Now, that's fatal. You can guess what happened next. Within a couple of weeks, a delivery guy put the locks back in the wrong way round. Well, how bad could it be, I thought, as I got there and thought, oh dear. I thought, well, it might take me longer to get in, maybe. No, I'm afraid not. Spent 20 minutes fiddling with it, gave serious consideration to the acquisition of a hacksaw, briefly considered trying to get in the back door of the shop. No chance. It was alarmed and I couldn't turn the alarm off without getting through the front door. So eventually, nothing else for it. Had to call the fire service. Two tenders and almost 20 firefighters and an hour later, we were finally in. Lesson to be learnt. Never underestimate the extent to which the seemingly simple can come back and bite you. I can see this happening. Can't you? Mm, you know what I can see? Go on. It's a licence to rob your house. Well, exactly. I would love to know what your insurance company would think of something like this. More importantly, what of the MacBiters? Who's up for it? Who thinks it's one of the worst ideas they've ever heard? I'm, words fail me sometimes. My Amazon delivery folk can't even seem to be able to follow basic instructions. I've told them of a safe place if I'm not in. And they just leave stuff all over the place. And I do mean all over the place. Just a couple of recent classics. I got a note through the door informing me that we were in at this stage, that they'd left a parcel because we weren't in, but we were, but they'd left this parcel with a neighbour. Wasn't it a Mrs Smith? It was. Yeah. Now, this was despite me requesting that if I didn't answer the door, they were to leave it in my safe place. Now, not too much of an issue, though. Well, you'd think so. The problem was we have no idea who or where Mrs Smith was. There was no address, just nothing. It was with Mrs Smith. Worse than that, there's nobody of that name in our tiny road at all. There's only eight houses and we do not have a Mrs Smith. Believe me. So. I vented. I recall it well. I thought you might. I was ready with the mother and father of all snotograms to blast off to Amazon. But you said, I best go see if I can find it. You know, while you're, while you're thinking of tearing them a new one, I'll go see if I can find it. So you headed out to find Mrs Smith and more importantly, my toys. And that was when I found the delivery in the safe place you told them about. It was lucky you checked before heading out, because I'm not sure I would have done. Because they said expressly they'd left it with a neighbour. So why would I look? But that was that one. It didn't end there. Another classic, and this is all within the last two, three weeks. Um, a parcel that they did leave in my safe place with a little card on top of it. Wait for it. Telling me that they delivered a parcel to my safe place. Seriously? You left the card on top of the parcel. If I found one, then I found the other. So Amazon Key? Not in my lifetime. Mm, talking of bad ideas, how did your iOS updates go? I must admit to being somewhat delinquent. Uh, delinquent in updating anything that might break. 
So pretty much everything. Uh, I did follow the release notes for each version, though, to see if there was anything critical I needed to consider for update. Which was when I noticed, and this was a while back now, um, it was one of the early betas for iOS 11.2. Along with other things addressed, which I, I deemed I could leave, there was a bug in the calculator. And I thought, well, these things happen, don't they? Uh, but apparently the calculator previously couldn't add 1 plus 2 plus 3. I mean, basic? I couldn't believe that. Now, as I hadn't updated in um, <clears throat> quite a while, I tried it. And they were right. It couldn't add up. I couldn't get it to fail. Typical. But I said it was an animation bug, so I told you to do it faster. You were just too slow. Mm, at which point it failed. Now, what use is a calculator you can't rely on? And more importantly, how did this not get fixed before iOS 11.0 was released? Anyway, at some point, Apple deigned to fix it. And we could all breathe easily again. Dubious logic, though, in my mind, to rely on it. Now, I actually have CalcBot and pCalc installed, and they both have a much better interface than the iOS 11 Fisher-Price Apple version. I didn't think the calculator was bad in iOS 10, but, but there's just something about the iOS 11 one I'm not fond of. But that's the built-in calculator, and that's available from the control centre. So I do use it, but when I do, it's inadvertent. I wish you could change that. The nearest I've found is adding pCalc to the notification centre. But then the trick is to remember to use it. I think you said that about things, that you, you set stuff off and configure it, and then you fall back into the standard way of doing it. Oh, I've got lots of apps that I intend to use and then fall back into using other ways, or not using yes, that, them at all. that's my problem. Yeah. I've, I've got used to um, doing the, the swipe thing and using the control centre. So if we could just change calculator. There is one thing I could do, of course, which somebody's bound to say, just suggest to me, which is just take away the standard calculator from there and you'll soon get used to it. <laughs> but it's just one of those things, you know, like I remember the day when Apple didn't do stupid stuff like that. Anyway, another moment of insanity while we were gone and another definite April the 1st moment. But I'm not making these up. Honestly, I'm not. Have you noticed how many of these fit in that category? The world has gone officially mad. Um, the proverbial hit the fan when somebody posted that searching their photos for the word brazier returned images of, wait for it, braziers. Mm, could have been worse. Now, it turned out to have been a feature that was present in iOS since version 10. And there was a huge range of keywords present that returned alarmingly accurate results. Um, not only items of clothing. It actually claimed to recognise expressions. Now, these fascinated me. Greedy, disgust, neutral, scream, smiling, surprise, suspicious. Coincidentally, they are the exact reactions of those visiting Apple stores and checking the prices. So I went off and I researched. In total, the Photos app supports detecting 4,432 different scenes and objects that they've categorised into 153 categories. Now, back to the original post, the one banging on about privacy. Twitter was alive with self-righteous indignation. No change there then. Quite. But this time it was because of a perceived inequity. Women's underclothes were included, 
but no men's though. Typical. I figured we could have some fun with what is recognised though. I made my way through the list of four and a half thousand for your enjoyment. These were some of my favourites. I might need some of them. I might actually need to visit the Urban Dictionary for some of them. But um, sit back and enjoy. In fact, you know what I should do? You should have to make up a story including these words. And if any MacBiters will care to do that, we'll read them out. Um, these were my favourites. Pleasure grounds, orbs, blowtorch, wild boar, bongo drum, handcuffs, koi carp, pitchfork and trombone. Yes. Sounds like an average night at MacBites HQ. So nothing more than a storm in a teacup then? Or to be more accurate, a storm in a D-cup. Move on before she comes out with any more. I was just warming up then. We know. Move on. All right, back to Bragate. In addition to the standalone items of clothing, unassumingly adorning hangers, it also finds people wearing said clothes. But surely I was still safe. Believe me. There are no bikinis in my wardrobe, for which we can all be very grateful. So purely in the interests of research, you understand, I did the deed and I searched for bra, confidently expecting nothing. And? Oh, my word. Let me just say this search thing is unnervingly accurate, even in the most challenging lighting conditions. Shall we move on now? No, you need to share the results of this valuable experiment. Well, much to my surprise, it did find a photo of a bikini top. In my photos. Luckily, it was on a hanger rather than me. And that was just as well for several reasons. Not least of which was the fact it was a size 6. The other being the fact that it was the most lurid pink you've ever seen. Actually, the last time I recall being a size 6, I think I can assure you I've, I would have had no need for a bikini top to cover anything. I think I was in primary school and the reception class at that. So why did you have a photo of a tiny pink bikini top on your phone? Oh, it was all completely logical and innocent. I was in the market to buy one, to complete a present for a friend. What kind of present needs a size 6 pink bikini top to finish it? Are you sure you want to know? We all want to know. A four-foot blow-up dolphin, obviously. You bought someone a four-foot blow-up dolphin as a present? No! I bought someone a four-foot blow-up dolphin wearing a pink bikini top as a present. The mind boggles. It was a reminder for them of a holiday they'd had a few years before, where they discovered that wearing a bikini for a long-anticipated dolphin ride wasn't the best idea they'd ever had. Seems your friends are as barking mad as you are. She loved it. She named it Budvan after the original dolphin and gave it pride of place in the living room. But back to these alarmingly accurate search results. Did it find anything else? Well, scarily, it did. As I said, it doesn't limit itself to unworn items, nor did it limit itself to just bras. Something I can attest to personally as a photo appeared in the results of me cradling a kitten. And do share what that had to do with a bra. Well, nothing directly. But the kitten had um, wandered up from my lap and was curled up in the somewhat low neckline of a rather loose t-shirt. Add to that the photo was taken from above and what do you have? I'm trying desperately not to picture it. Well, let's just say if you were captioning it, cats in the cleavage, it wouldn't have been inaccurate. I think I need a new job. I think I need to get a copy of that photo. Deady on boy, have you done the bra search yet? No, but I'm confident there'll be nothing. 
So was I, and look how well that went. Go on, do it live now. Okay. There you go, nothing. Oh, there's always one, Mr Squeaky Clean. Yes. Anyway, let's talk about something close to your heart. The new toys released after the education event last week. Which was just as well, as pretty much everything else in that event was all a bit blah. But there were new space grey peripherals at absolutely exorbitant prices. 149 for the keyboard, 149 for the trackpad, and 99 for the mouse. Exorbitant when compared with the original ones, the silver ones, which were all £20 cheaper, so 129 129 and 79 for the standard ones. Is the price difference anything other than Apple keeping the cachet of the Space Grey versions? Is it really more expensive to manufacture the Space Grey versions? Obviously the paint costs more. Do you think it's paint? Mm. Oh, in that case, I should sell the paint. I can paint mine. Yeah, special Space Grey paint. No, I did contemplate, you know, what would it look nice with these space grey peripherals? And then I realised that would be £400 mm. for the three. And I thought, no. So, did you indulge yourself? I know I'm not renowned for my restraint in the face of new toys from Apple, but at £397 for the complete set, I'm happy to report I did refrain. Anyway, you're going to have to make the most of what's on offer, given the expected wait for anything else. Oh, yes. News, or wild speculation if you prefer, is that there'll be no new Mac Pro before 2019. Oh, how I longed for the days of Steve Jobs' keynotes and those magic words, it ships today. So far, we've been 2.0, we've had. Yes, we're working on it. That was 2017. Yes, we're still working on it. 2018. And doubtless, it will continue like that. So I'm not holding my breath, that's for sure. Meanwhile, in other news... No, more wild speculation. Uh, This was that the new improved, might actually be considered a Pro model, MacBook Pros, are unlikely to be able to have more than 16 gig of RAM. Shall we replay your initial reaction to that news? Oh, why not? (laughs) Yep, that about covered it. Shall we move on before there's tears? To something you can actually play with right now. Yes. Big news from 1Password HQ2 with the announcement of 1Password 7 and the release of an early beta for the Mac. I threw caution to the wind, downloaded it and had it installed within minutes. Ooh. Looks great. Now got a dark sidebar on the left, some nice touches in terms of improvements, uh, things like dragging and dropping between vaults. You can even drag and drop items between accounts. Now, I've only got one account with you that's configured at the moment but I do actually I talked a client into going that way so I could actually now add that to my uh, one password at home and then drag and drop between them you can even edit vaults uh, from the sidebar one thing that I thought was a nice touch was rich formatting in the notes and that's done via markdown one of the things I think I will actually use that I haven't used up to now I do have a few tags in there but I didn't really bother with them and I wasn't even sure why. But they've added nested tags and that made so much more sense to me. I thought, actually, I can now see me using tags um, in, a, in a much more dedicated way. You know, actually thinking it through what should go in, in where. Um, they've also added pop-out items. So you can 
pop an item out of one password and leave it on the screen to refer to it so you can transfer multiple items to forms. Um, I wasn't as excited as they were about this next one, which is they've got a dedicated font called Courier Prime Bits. And that's the font that you see when you um, open a password quite large on the screen. There's also this thing that checked for known hacked passwords. And I thought, how's this working? Um, it, it found for me 10 and I looked at them and there were things I didn't even remember signing up for. Um, I'd have to get the list, but one was um, a really weird name. It wasn't Uvo, but it was something like that, you know, like U-V-V-U. And I thought, I, I don't remember what that was. <laughs> so I went to the site and it had gone. So I thought, oh, so it's the service had gone anyway. Um, but, you know, it's handy to have that there. There is a whole range of other improvements detailed in their blog post announcing this. So I'll be sure to put that in the uh, show notes. Just one slight thing, trouble in paradise. It doesn't remember the location and size of the window across restarts. And I could not believe how amazingly annoying that was. And it seemed such a simple thing to fix. When I do an update, it obviously has to close one password and then it opens up again when I update the beta. And across that, it does remember the size and location. But if you instantly close it down and open it up, it doesn't. So for me, it's opening on the wrong screen and it's opening up really quite tiny. It fixed that, I'd be much happier. I semi-fixed it with another app, which is called Moom, and I got a shortcut key to resize and position the window. But I still had a problem, and the problem that I had was the size of the sidebar. The sidebar can be widened and narrowed, and unfortunately, I can't get Moom to do that. But apart from that, not bad at all. Now, the other news from Agile Bits is 1Password X. Now, the X is for extension, not a number, or the X could be for Linux, but it's a browser extension for Chrome. There is also a version of it for Vivaldi, which is another browser. And what it is, it's an extension that you plug into your browser, but instead of relying on one password on the local machine to provide access to your passwords, it hooks into the cloud service so it works anywhere. So if you're out in the Apple store and you need access to your passwords, you can just log in to the browser that they've got and start working with it, access to your stuff while you're away. At the moment, as I say, it's only Chrome and Vivaldi. Soon they've promised extensions for Opera and Firefox, but it's not yet available. And I th from what I'm gathering when they say not yet available, it's not going to be a short wait for this. Nothing for Safari or Edge. So as I've said, the difference with this one is it accesses your 1Password data in the Agile cloud. That means you're going to need a subscription, but you don't need 1Password installed on the machine you're using it on. So I thought it made perfect sense for work, as I've said, or when you're out and about. The only thing that makes it difficult to use is you need to have access to your secret key for 1Password. So when you have a 1Password account, you get a secret key for it. And you're going to need to use that the first time you authorise the extension. And this secret key is a long thing to enter manually. And I don't know where yours is, but mine's in 1Password. Mine's in 1Password as well. <laughs> I, I do have. They, when you set it up, you know, they recommend, yes, it makes sense to have it in there and it's all secure. But if, if you know, if your machine died and you didn't have any other way in, you're going to need that key to get in. 
So they let you print out like a PDF um, emergency access kit and the secret key is on there. And I think I did that. No idea where I put it, mind you. Uh, but there you go. I'm working on the principle. I've got that many devices. One of them will work. Um, the thing is, that's thrown me a little bit. It's just a shame once you've got it installed, if you synchronize your Chrome extensions, you have to use that version of 1Password everywhere, which leads us nicely into Reality Bytes and your Chrome bookmark woes. Yeah, one of the reasons that Chrome is my preferred browser is because it syncs my bookmarks across devices. In other words, as long as I'm logged into my Google account in Chrome, I have access to my bookmarks on my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad, my personal Windows laptop, and my work Windows laptop. But there is, however, a downside to this. And a few weeks ago, I accidentally deleted all my bookmarks. I can't remember how exactly, uh, but I did it on my work laptop. When I got home, I opened up Chrome on the Mac and all the bookmarks had gone. It was, it was that horrible sinking feeling where I did it at work and then I thought, oh God, it's synchronized across all devices. And then, as I say, I got home and they'd all gone. They'd also disappeared on my iPhone and I didn't dare check my Windows laptop. Panic set in and so ensued some serious Googling to find out how to get them back. Now, luckily, there is an easy way to restore the Chrome bookmarks on the Mac. And there is also on Windows as well. And if I'd found a way and done it, then when I got home, my bookmarks on the Mac would have been as you were. So here's how to do it. Before you start, make sure that Chrome is not running on any device where you're signed in. So in my case, it meant my iPhone, my iPad, my Windows laptop and my Mac because my work laptop was switched off. On the Mac, open up Finder, hold down the Option key on the keyboard, click Go on the Finder menu and select Library. Navigate to Application Support, Google, Chrome, Default. And in that default folder, you'll find two files, Bookmarks and Bookmarks.bak. Move the bookmarks file to another location, for example, your desktop, and you can delete this file when your bookmarks are safely restored. Rename the bookmarks.back file to bookmarks by deleting the extension and the dot between the bookmarks and, and back and restart Chrome. And that's it. If you're syncing bookmarks across devices, as you open Chrome on each device, the bookmarks will be updated on that device. Now, as I say, there is a similar process on Windows. It's just that the location of the bookmarks file is in obviously a different place um, because of the, the different operating systems. And if you're interested, if you've got a Windows machine, it's in C colon users, your account name, app data, local, Google, Chrome, user data, default. Hope you got all that. Your user account on Windows. Don't get me going. I should stick this in the niggle section. It was Windows, but it was definitely a niggle. I had a new install of Windows 10 on a new PC. It didn't bother asking what I wanted to call the user folder. It just took my first name. Now, remember my OCD coming into play for the Mac home folder and wanting it upper and lower cases? Believe me, we're not likely to forget. 
This was the time it took my first name, as I said, and promptly removed the last E. So my user folder became Elaine with no end E. I know it's an alternative spelling of my name, but that's not the point. How could I change it? How difficult could it be, I thought. Let's just say after a few hours fiddling, I gave in and left it be. It would be quicker to undergo therapy to accept it than to try and fix it. And I'm not alone because I did do some research and many folks in the forum had exactly the same issue. I mean, who codes something to randomly remove the last character of the user's first name? I know. I empathise, I sympathise and I seem to have been doing it since it happened. All right. Not just me, though. You've got a classic reality bite. Spark. My mail app of choice. Updated. What could go wrong? They added two features that, when I read what they were, thought, oh, they're incredibly useful. Send later, you know, when you schedule a mail to go later, and remind me. Very, very handy features in certain circumstances. They did release it in a very strange way. It came out in beta one day, and then the final version came out the next day, which did nothing but confuse the users. Now, remind me worked well. Send later was nowhere to be seen on my Mac. So, determined, I uninstalled Spark, reinstalled it, nuked it, tried again, nothing. I went to another Mac and that didn't have Spark installed. So, I installed it. And there it was. There was my send later feature. Typical. The feature worked, but to test it, I was sending mails to myself and that didn't seem to go well. But, back to my main Mac, determined to make it work. Still no joy. Sent off a support ticket, explained everything with complete clarity. Rant alert. Pet peeve. When the response asks you to do something that you've already clearly told them you've done, it feels like they're just buying time. Obviously, they didn't have a clue what was wrong. In the meanwhile, the final version of Spark for iOS with the new features was released. I installed it, expecting trouble, wasn't disappointed. Remind me again was fine. Later, missing in action for crying out loud. So I thought it's all right, I'll ask you. Is it working for you? Oh, yes. And there it was. So I tried installing it on my iPad at this point. No joy. Tried another iPad. Boom. There it was. Then I noticed the send later icon flash onto the screen on the first iPad and vanish. And I thought, OK, something was going on. But what on earth was it? I figured there's got to be something in the settings. So while the support team were pondering the meaning of life, a tweet solved the mystery. In order for this feature to work, you need to have notifications enabled. And having notifications enabled makes the send later option appear. And I thought, seriously, it's very bad karma to have notifications constantly enabled. It, it's a productivity killer. And I'm very selective when it comes to notifications. I've got this whole system set up via Google Mail and Boxcar where I get notifications via the iOS app and that ripples through to my watch. It works perfectly. And I absolutely didn't want notifications for every mail. Nor do I want notifications on multiple devices. So I had a look in Spark and there was a couple of options. And this is... um options for notifications. You had three options. You could go for no notifications, which was what I had it set to. You've got smart notifications and all. So I thought, okay, 
I definitely don't want all and I can't have none. That left smart. Had a read up about what that said it did. Mute strangers and automated messages. Dread to think how it works all that out. But the solution on the Mac was to enable smart notifications in Spark and then configure the notification centre to only show notifications as silent badges on the app icon. Since I hide the dock, I don't get any notifications flying across the screen disturbing me. So that was all working well. Then I had to fix iOS. Needed to enable the notifications, but then I unchecked everything except badge icons. And that started working. Now, at that point, I was happy. Had all these features working. A little while later, Spark was updated again. They reported a feature had been added. Ooh, what was it? Love new features. The new feature, massive air quotes, was an update to the help system in which they explained all the above. Hmm, I'm then going to let you think about that for a second. Yes, that means they launched the, the original changes without the help system. What the actual... It just seems to be the norm these days to launch with little or no help. Is it safe to assume everyone can manage without any form of help whatsoever? I don't think so. No, I I use Spark on iOS, but I don't use it on the desktop. I I just use Gmail in a browser. Um, and when we were discussing this, I, I started thinking to myself, why am I actually using the Spark app on iOS? And then I remembered the send it later option. And that's why I installed it. And then I realised I'd never actually used it. Well, I've never actually used the send it later option either, but I still wanted it working. I wanted to have the option. <laughs> You would. This is sad, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, moving swiftly along. It's a bumper week for Reality Bites. We both suffered another Apple classic. Both of us had a calendar notification on the iPhone lock screen that we could not get rid of. Now, it mainly seemed to be confined to when you had a shared calendar. The sharer got a notification as people joined the calendar. The notification initially behaves as expected. It disappears when you clear it. But once you turn the device screen off and then back on again, the notification came back and continued to do so. I finally solved the problem by rebooting the phone. But that gets old fast as more people join the calendar. Every single device using the same Apple ID needed to be rebooted. And it's been going on for weeks and weeks. And it was happening across iOS 10 and iOS 11. That's just one of those niggles, isn't it? I mean, how difficult is it to get that right? And obviously, I'm sitting here with quite a few iPads. Let me think. Oh, I've got four iPhones. Well, there's actually five, but one doesn't get notifications. So there was four iPhones sat there and about eight or nine iPads. And the thing was, it was a shared calendar between us. So all your iPads and all your iPhones had exactly the same problem. So you we were literally rebooting stuff every five minutes. So simple to get right, and yet, yet again, never let Apple lose near a calendar, is what I would say. No. So, boomeranging calendar notifications. Yes, and talking of boomeranging, Bartender took to resetting itself every time I restarted the iMac whilst we were away. It refused to run on startup. I deleted the erroneous bartender from the login items, and I got a warning triangle next to it. 
It wanted to check I had the latest version. It wouldn't let me update. It displayed a message that says Bartender 2 can't be updated when it's running from a read-only volume like a disk image or an optical drive. Move Bartender 2 to your applications folder, relaunch it from there and try again. But I thought it is in the applications folder. So the next step, uninstall and reinstall. And after months of this happening, they finally released an update. So I installed the update, I rebooted, and it fixed the problem that I had. I'm not at all sure Bartender was alone in that because I have an app called Copied, which is a clipboard extender, and that's got a run on startup option. And it just seemed to be randomly not bothering. So I'm blaming Apple, but don't get me going on the bartender settings. Can I have another rant? Go on. Previously, because this version that came out was a, a massive update, I think it was a couple of months ago now, and it was actually version three. So the one that you were having a problem with was version two, and this new one was version three. And I think it was a free update as well. He's very good like that. But previously in version one, no, in version two, when Apple made some changes, you had to disable the system integrity protection, the SIP thing, to hide the spotlight icon. Well, it was a bit of a pain because it meant you had to change this option, reboot, configure it, reboot, change the thing back. But it did it and you only needed to do it once. Well, here's version three, where you go. And this time you didn't need to do that. So you can lose the spotlight icon and you don't need to disable SIP to do it. They've fixed it. Now you can't hide the notification centre icon. My OCD just can't cope. That notification icon actually for me is a useful reminder when I do training webinars. It reminds me to turn notifications off. But that's what a go live checklist is for. And I've got one. I don't want to see anything up there, even if it's, you know, just because I can get rid of everything apart from the one icon. So when I'm going live or I'm recording video, I don't have anything up there at all. And now I'm looking at this notification centre icon that I can't get rid of. Not happy. Not happy at all. Oh, and you've got me going on about the notification centre icon now. A while back, I mentioned a macOS niggle involving the notification centre icon. I really got it in for this icon. You can enable and disable the notifications by clicking the icon, pulling it down. So with the resulting fly out thing, you can pull down and there's an option that you can click. Do not disturb. Now, it was a pain to do that remotely via remote desktop. I think it's niggly mouse syndrome. It just never seemed to happen smoothly. I would click on the icon and the thing would fly out. And before I could scroll down, it would close again. It seemed to happen more when I was trying to access the option to disable the notification center than at any other point. But never fear, I had a plan. My initial workflow was to toggle the notifications on and off by holding the option key down and clicking the notification center icon. And that worked perfectly. So that's the way that I always used. It worked perfectly locally and it worked remotely via remote desktop. I'm sensing a but. But then Apple broke it. The option key trick was removed completely. So I had to use the long winded method. Not good on remote desktop, especially not from iOS when I'm using screens. Eventually they brought that back locally and I thought, oh, it's back. So I ran off to try it in remote desktop. I believed sanity had been restored. And? Nothing. Did completely nothing on remote desktop. Works locally, not remotely. 
As we say in the UK, good but no T-shirt. Then what? So I ranted. I raved. I complained. Vented? That too. Do you feel better for it? Can honestly say not. Until the last update fixed it. Happy dance. Until the next time. My thinking exactly. Only a matter of time before it goes again. You've had an app renaissance, haven't you? Sure have. Blast from the past. All started with the release of Yoink for iOS. Now, to understand why this is awesome, we need to go back to Yoink on the Mac. Yoink for Mac was originally released in September 2011. And really quickly, version 2 followed in January 2012. And we're now up to version 3 on the Mac. The purpose of all those versions, functionality hasn't changed. Yoink for Mac has been there to assist you in moving files around your Mac. The interface is a flyout panel on the side of your screen, or each screen if you've got a multi-monitor setup. Now, it only appears when you pick a file up and you start to move it. And the interface that appears is like a holding area for files. Now, it came into its own in full screen mode introduced in Lion in July 2011, and I tried it. And it was very good, but I wasn't a fan of full screen apps. And because of that, it was never really a must have app for me. Actually, I ended up replacing it with another app that did exactly the same thing. And that was Dropshelf from Pilot Moon. They're the people who make PopClip. Interface wise, it was even more in your face, though, because the shelf that appeared had stripes on the shelves. They were sort of black and yellow. So really in your face. Now, that's configurable now, so you can tone those down a little bit. One major difference between Yoink and Dropshelf, though, was that in Dropshelf, you can have multiple shelves and you can decide where they appear. Now, the thing was, going from Mac to Mac, getting new equipment, I didn't use it enough to even bother reinstalling either of those apps when I got a new Mac. But for iPads running iOS 11, it's absolutely perfect. There's multiple ways to work with it. So on the iPad, you install it as a standard app. But of course, you've got split screen view. And in split screen view, you can go into split screen mode and, and have Yoink alongside another app. And you can drag and drop images, links or other content from your source app into Yoink. Then if you replace the space on your iPad that's showing the source app with a destination app, you can reverse the process and take stuff back from Yoink into the destination app. It can also work in float over mode, which is exactly the same principle. But in that mode, you can have two other apps on the screen and Yoink, or you can have a single other app with Yoink in this float over panel that you can move about. There's also a dedicated share sheet so you can send items directly to Yoink. Now, Returning to the first two methods where you're interacting directly with Yoink, you can manually add items from the clipboard. You can use the Files app to browse for files and you can add from photos. And then you can edit elements within Yoink. There's an edit option in the top right. You can delete the items. You can create stacks and expand stacks. Now the stacks, um, it's a concept of being a group of elements and it's just the one level deep but if you've added sort of five items maybe from a slide and you want to take them into pages you could create a stack of them so those five items are grouped together so if you think of a stack as being like a little folder then you're not far wrong 
You can also obviously delete items from there. It doesn't delete them straight away. It puts them in the bin and you can go and see the deleted items and you can choose to restore them from the bin if you need to. One really useful feature that I must admit when I when I looked at it, I thought, nah, it doesn't matter. But actually it's very useful. There's a lock icon. Now with the lock unlocked, when you drag an item out of Yoink, so we've got it from Keynote into Yoink, and I'm now taking it from Yoink into Pages. With it unlocked, as I drag it into Pages, it removes it from Yoink. But if I, if maybe what I had was a logo or a URL and I wanted to use it in numbers, I don't want to have to go back in and copy it again. So if you put the lock icon on, when you drag items out of Yoink, they remain in there so you can reuse them somewhere else. So locking items is a great way to create a kind of library of items. Now, it also has built in preview capabilities. So if you've got a URL on the clipboard and you, well, not on the clipboard, within Yoink and you tap on it, it will actually open up a browser inside Yoink and load in the URL. Same with images. It will open the images so you can actually look at them. Now, another way to get stuff out of Yoink is once it's in there, Yoink has its own share sheet. So you can tap on share and you can send it anywhere else that's supported via the share sheet mechanism. It's actually amazingly useful for doing real work on iOS. And they'll be really pleased with this. It had a halo effect. It, um, I thought about it and I thought, hmm, need to reinstall Yoink for Mac now. So I did after not using it for years and years. And as I say, there was nothing wrong with it per se. It was a little bit intrusive for live sessions. And that was the only thing. Now, unfortunately, lives or fortunately, live sessions is where I spend most of my time. And I always need to make my Mac look as normal as possible because anything that is obviously not part of the base OS is not good. People will hyper focus on anything that doesn't look like their systems. They act like I have some magic app I'm trying to hide from them. I'm not. But, you know, when I've got between an hour and four hours, it just isn't enough time to show them what I'm supposed to be showing them and all the utilities that I've got that make my life easier. And once they've spotted something, that's it. They completely lose focus on what they should be concentrating on. So that's why, you know, I would have to turn that off. It's like a pop clip. I have to remember to turn that off. So I thought, well, install it, have another look at it. Now, Yoink now allows for configurations that's much less intrusive than the default used to be. Um, now, compare that with Dropshelf, the one I replaced Yoink with. I haven't used that for years either, but I did install both and I did have a look at them. I do use numerous utilities, but I, I admit not missing the features that those specific utilities provided until now. Now, the need now was trying to add similar functionality to my Mac that I had on my iPad. And the reason for this was, for the first time ever last week when I was adding some content to the show notes, I actually said this would be easier on the iPad. That is a serious first for this deskbound girl. So it was a matter of getting used to it. And as you've said many times before, and as we've just discussed, it's remembering that it's there and what you were using it for and stuff. But I was running it and I was testing it. And I found a couple of bonus uses. It came in really useful when I inadvertently picked up a file in Adobe Audition. Adobe Audition is an audio editor. And somehow I'd managed to click within the timeline and pick up an audio file. 
And I thought, well, not a problem. Press escape and it will release it. And it didn't. And the escape key just would not release this file. And I didn't dare drop it anywhere within the audition interface because I had no idea what it would do. I actually just wanted it, you know, back where it was, leave it be. Problem was, I've got a three screen setup in Audition, so I couldn't see the desktop. There was no way I could just drop it to the desktop either. I had absolutely no way of releasing this file until I remembered Yoink as it popped up as I passed across it. And I thought, I wonder. So I dragged this file onto Yoink. Yoink accepted it, which took it off my mouse pointer. I then cleared Yoink. Problem solved. The second thing I did, this one's a little bit more positive. This was more deliberate, shall we say. I was scheduling two live sessions in BusyCal and I usually drag and drop the events from BusyCal onto my desktop. From there, I get an ICS file that I can upload and I can do various things with it. So I'm there in BusyCal. I've made the window a little bit smaller so I can see my desktop. I've grabbed the session and I've dragged it onto the desktop. Nothing just not having it. And now I do have desktop curtain installed. Now that would cause that problem. If I dragged and dropped and the curtain was over it, it wouldn't let it drop, but it wasn't active. I even shut desktop curtain down, still wasn't having it. Now I could at that point have stopped and started troubleshooting. That's why I never seem to actually finish one job in a simple straightforward way, you know. Anyway, as I was dragging, Yoink appeared. And I smiled and thought, oh, perfect solution. So I dragged and dropped the ICS file on there, hit the lock icon on it because I needed it in multiple places, carried on, job done. And the problem with the desktop? Oh, yes. Went back to troubleshoot. Vanished as soon as I didn't actually need it to be working. Typical. Now, it's definitely worth getting this for iOS. It could change how you work with your iPad, your phone. Current pricing is $2.99 on iOS, absolute bargain, and $6.99 on Mac. And as I've said, I now have it running on my Mac and I am actually using it. I think it was it was the interface, I think, that made the most difference to me. The fact that I can put exceptions on it and, and it's not popping up all the time. So I've got mine configured. I did change the configuration. Instead of having it appear as soon as I pick up a file, I've changed mine to only appear when I hover over the space where the interface would appear. And that works brilliantly. Great compromise. So highly recommend that one. Yeah, I've got Yoink, but I don't use it. Another one. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of that going on, isn't there? This is why when, when we come to use something, you have to update absolutely everything. Yes. Mm. Mm. Anyway, next in our series of Mac operating systems, and today is the turn of Leopard. Now, Leopard was originally due to be released at the end of 2006, but Apple delayed it until October 2007 because of the development of the iPhone. And according to Wikipedia, there was over 300 new features and enhancements. Now, I must admit, I can't remember what was new and what was already in the operating system. I did have to look them up. So the first one was back to my Mac, which apparently was a great feature, but it never worked for me. Time Machine. I never used it. Quick Look. Now, that is awesome. I still use it today. I even hit the spacebar on Windows and guess what? It doesn't work. <laughs> yes. I remember the launch day more than the actual features of the operating system. Do you think that's sad? 
No, I remember it well myself. Mm. Leopard. Leopard wasn't the first time we'd queued up to buy an operating system. If we take ourselves back to 1995... Windows. Is this talking of SAP? Yes, Windows 95, <laughs> PC World at 7.30am. Remember that? Oh, I do. I, from memory, we were the only ones there. <laughs> I think we were. Uh, it came on a set of floppy disks and we got the obligatory T-shirt. Now, the Apple store in the Trafford Centre, they closed early and reopened at six o'clock in the, the following, wasn't the following morning, was it? Six o'clock in the evening. No, it was six in the it evening. It was six o'clock in the evening. I got changed in the toilet at work. Why you'd want... Like super. Yeah, why you'd want to know that, I don't know, but I'm telling you. Um, yeah, I told my colleagues where I was going and why, and they thought I was mad. But um, as they were girly girls in the Trafford Centre, that meant shoes and clothes to them. So The Trafford Centre has shoes and clothes? Yes, shoes and clothes. Can honestly say, never seen them myself. Well, I tried to liken it because they didn't understand what I was doing. So they tried to liken it to, to what I said was Jimmy Choo. Jimmy, is it Choo or Choo? I don't know. Jimmy Choo. You're asking yeah. me. Jimmy Choo bringing out some new shoes. But they still didn't, didn't get it. Yeah, they said I still wouldn't stand in a queue. Oh, yeah, they would. Mm. Anyway. When we got there, the queue was buzzing with excitement. The Apple store provided drinks, tea, coffee, water. Things have changed somewhat, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. Passers-by asking what we were queuing for. And when we told them, they they didn't get it either. Think Vista, but better was my reply. What was so funny was, it was they were, before they knew what it was, they were saying, should I get in the queue? And you're thinking, why would you get in the queue if you don't know what it's for? And they probably haven't got a Mac. <laughs> As I recall, I got there before you. And Mikey B, Mike Burke, one of the original MacBytes crew, beat me. Must have been interested in the shoes. He was already in the queue. And he'd met a young lady, if you recall. I do recall. Gemma, wasn't it? The one with the it apple. Was. The one with the apple tattoo. Absolutely. And Mike Burt took a picture of it. Yes, there's a link in the show notes if anyone's <laughs> interested. Uh, it was it was the original Apple logo as well, wasn't it? With it, with the rainbow thing. It was. Anyway. In a, in a rather delicate place, but moving swiftly on. Yes. Do you think that would come up in the search for Brassia? I, I, I'm not risking <laughs> it. I'm not transferring it to iOS and looking for it. I mean, where would I stop? Anyway, as six o'clock approached, the Apple staff led the clapping, the whooping, the cheering, and more strange looks from passers-by. If you want to see it, watch the video. There's a link in the show notes. The store opened at six o'clock. We filed in. We got the obligatory T-shirt, and then we got the software, handed over our cash, and got the disc. Do you know you're talking about that video? I'm just thinking we must have... It was pre-iPhone. And even an iPhone 1 didn't do video. So I'm presuming I must have done that on a handheld camcorder. I think you did. And when you said we got the T-shirt, I remember Gaz uh, pointing out you going extra large, extra large. <laughs> oh, yes, extra large. That's on the video as well, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it was a fabulous night, that. Anyway, you mentioned a few of the features, but let's reminisce about some of the snazzy new features way back in 2007. This was such a joy to go back and look at them. Take the first one, Mike. Mail's post-it style notes synchronise automatically with the iPhone. Yeah, right. Never worked for me. It was all to do with that mismatch of the email addresses thing. It was to do with .mac having one address and, and my primary email being on somewhere else. and it, it never worked. 
Never worked. But let's leave it at it never worked. Talking of mail, new in Leopard was the fact the address book synchronised with Yahoo. Spam central, you mean? Yeah. Much more useful, Leopard introduced the Finder path bar. I couldn't believe that because in my brain, that had been there since we got a Mac. And I didn't realise it was, you know, it came in an OS after we'd bought our first Mac. But I couldn't live without that. No, I couldn't either. It's one of the first things I turn on when I get a new Mac. Preview gained more editing power. Crop, rotate, resize and save images in a range of image formats. Selection tools make it a snap to cut and paste images from preview directly into other applications. Doesn't it sound fantastic? Actually, I did use Preview a lot um, to edit PDFs back then. But now, of course, I'd use PDF Expert. And I must admit, even though Preview is now much more capable than it was back then, the changes they added then were great. But I don't really, I use it less than I did back then. Sync dashboard widgets and dock items across Macs using .Mac. <laughs> like anything ever synchronised with .Mac? Do you know? On thinking about that, actually, it would be really useful now if you could do that with iOS, because iOS has got its own dock, and I use that dock for core apps, and I have every iPad set up the same. So if you could do some kind of syncing with that, that would be a huge time saver. It would. It would. They were ahead of their time. They were. Bootcamp came out of beta, complete with Microsoft WHCL certified Windows drivers and an uninstall mode. What? Windows hardware compatibility list. Right, I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> the new look 3D dock became spring-loaded. Boing! Sound effect there? With stacks. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. I'd never understood what Spring Loaded was. Anyway, this meant that you could drag an image over iPhoto, press the space bar, and once iPhoto opened, you kept dragging the image to the desired folder. Right. I spent most of my time trying to make it look and work like it did in Tiger. I well remember that. Front Row will stream iTunes content from any Mac around the house and provided DVD playback. I actually liked Front Row. I had a 24-inch iMac, and at the time, you know, that could have been the largest screen you had in your house. But, of course, the Apple TV killed the need for it, really. I was going to say I never used it, but I always remember that I had... Do you remember the little um, little remotes that came with the, the iMacs? Yes. Yeah, well, I had two of them, and I accidentally dropped one, and it was configured to your iMac, and front row popped up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that was my use of front row, accidentally. That was your last use of front row before I banned you. Yes. Brace yourself for this one. iCal received a host of new features like inline editing of events, sharing of meeting materials in an event Dropbox, and CalDev group scheduling. And lost its info panel. Do you remember that? I do. I was talking to Mikey B that night and, and he said, let's have a look at iCal. And I got in there and I'm like, where's the info panel? Where's, where, where's the info panel? No, 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 you double click on it. I double clicked on it and this stupid popover popped up and that was the end of that. <laughs> that actually completely overwhelmed everything else that was in it. Everything else that was fantastic just 
melted away as I sat there and mourned the loss of my beloved info panel. Yeah, but there was loads of iChat stuff added, wasn't there? iChat oh, theatre. Yes, iChat theatre. Instant screen sharing from the Finder. File transfer manager. Persistent chat windows. iChat watch for my name. What? You receive an alert when someone calls your name in a group chat. Right. And never miss a comment directed to you. Thrilling. iChat MPEG 4 recording of video chats. It warns the other party first. Oh, Skype. Yeah, Skype. Years ago. Just thinking that. iChat Invisible Mode and multiple logons for .mac slash aim, Google or Jabber. This is all a completely different world to me. Mm. Mm. I don't do the chat thing, obviously. No. Photo Booth got a burst mode so you can record four photo successive shots as GIFs. Again, that must have passed me by. And Photo Booth also got the ability to record videos. Now, actually, Photo Booth, I remember this. I did try the roller coaster thing with Mikey B on launch day because we'd all met up at the Trafford Centre. But obviously, to install it back then, I think we all only had. Did I have a laptop? Probably, but I wouldn't have taken it with me to install it on. So we all dashed back home with it to put it on our Macs. So um, I did. I was putting it on my laptop. That's right. And I used this laptop um, in a chat with Mikey B with the roller coaster thing. It was fantastic fun on the day, but completely useless, really. And you know what? I only ever used it once. That was it, first and last time. Last but not least, iLife Media Browser added. Oh, iLife. Those were the days. Actually, it, that's still there, really, isn't it? Um, thinking about the latest update to Keynote, it's got a dialog box, and this dialog box looks identical to what was the iLife Media Browser back then. Shame they killed the good iLife apps, though. Talking of killing stuff, it's time for Good But Gone. And it really was a fantastic little app, much mourned. Yes, Visual Hub. In 2006, I had my first iPod. I watched a lot of videos on it, and many of the videos weren't in the right formats. They probably actually came from Windows. AVI was one of the most common formats I had, and to convert those videos, I used Visual Hub which was an awesome free app that let you convert video files into different formats. It also used to convert to Flash format. And this was good. Why precisely? That's a very good question. Anyway, Visual Hub was laid to rest in 2011 when Lion broke it. The developer released a patch to get it working again, but decided on no more active development. Yes, a developer with a sense of humour. You know, if you remember some of those messages on that app, uh, <laughs> high quality outputs, instead of saying high quality output, he put uh, go nuts. And in the advanced settings, there was a warning, wasn't there? Don't, you'll screw it up or something like that. I remember it well, loved it. Now, there's another great app from the same developer called Audial Hub, which converted audio files from one format to another. And that was also broken by Lion. Lion had a lot to be responsible for. It did. I thought one of the best features in both those apps was the ability to stitch files together. You mean a pre a, a pre runner to um, ScreenFlow? Mm. Yes, ScreenFlow can do it, but but it's a pain because you've got to re-encode. Whereas with that, I had a thing. I'm sure we've talked about it many moons ago called Sorensen Squeeze. I remember and it that. Was a, 
it was a pro business level thing. It was an arm and a leg. We're talking, you know, um, wirecast levels of, of money. It was great for what it did. It was, it was amazing. But that was on Windows and coming over to the Mac with these two free apps. These two free apps did more and did it did what they did better than Sorensen Squeeze did. So when those two went, I was distraught because they were both fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And in, in a similar vein is the next one because we've included another one, haven't we? Yeah, another app was um, MPEG Stream Clip, which was a video converter player and editor. Now that is actually still going, but it hasn't been updated for nine years. Don't you find it amazing that it is still going with nine years of no updates? Yeah. It, it must have been coded in such a way, either a very basic way or something, because virtually every other app in nine years has broken. And that one is still going strong. But, you know, I'd have to say with no updates in nine years, I wouldn't recommend anybody tries using it. But technically, it's still going. Yeah. I installed it on my new 27-inch iMac running Sierra and it still works. The problem's going to be if it ever gets an update to 64-bit because after high Sierra, everything will have to be 64-bit. And I think at that point, it'll go. Yeah, well, there was nothing on the developer's website about it. And the latest news on the site was dated uh, six years ago, 2012. So I was, I'll be very surprised if it still works. But as it's not in active development, I wouldn't trust it as my number one converter or editor anyway. I've replaced both of the, the apps with Handbrake, which does conversion. It also does batch conversion. And those two apps had a very simple interface, whereas Handbrake has lots of options. Well, you mentioned Handbrake having lots of options and, um, and it does have a quite complicated interface. But it's been updated um, just a couple of days ago and they've made some changes to the interface for the first time in many, many years. And you know what you like? Oh, good grief. They've improved the interface. I thought I, I dread to think what this looks like now. Actually, it's not at all bad. So it, they've modernized it a little bit. The problem with Handbrake is they can't, there's a limit to how simple they can make it when it does as much as it does. And if they simplified it to the point of, you know, you've got five options, choose one, then you wouldn't be able to have that granular control that means that I can squeeze a video down. I did one today. It was 1.8 gig and it crunched down to 12 meg which if I can't go in and make those really tiny changes, you know, really obscure changes, it wouldn't be any use to me. So luckily they have improved the interface on Handbrake, but I wouldn't say it's simple. No. I did move to VidConvert for a while, but sadly that doesn't have much of a future. For anyone unaware, the VidConvert developer, now he also made AppDelete, uh, Reggie Ashworth. He died in a car crash back in May 2017. Um, so that's why there, there will be no more updates there. We'll post a link to um, a GoFundMe page that's been set up for his young children as well. I've always been surprised that no developer ever made something similar to replace um, Visual Hub and Audio Hub, though. There are so many people saying, you know, oh, I really love those apps. It, I think it would have been at the time a guaranteed market for somebody. Um, I know. Do you remember when that developer came back and he did do that update? It was free. Yes, I And do. I remember somebody taking the update and trying to charge five, $5 for it. Do you remember? Yes. So, you know, he said this is the last update and people were trying to charge for a free update he'd put out, which only shows you that there is a market there for that. I guess given that both of those apps were free, there was no incentive for anybody to develop them. 
which to me just proves the problem of free, you know, raise its ugly head again. I'd rather pay for something and it have a future than, I mean, it's like all, all the arguments about Facebook, if I paid for it, can I have my own data, all of that. I don't, I don't think free in the long term does anybody any good. So it was just, I would have paid for both of those and I think you would as well, wouldn't you? I would, yes. Yeah. I mean, having said that, handbrake's free. I wonder how they make money. Mm, but that's... again, I would pay for it. When I think of what I did pay for this Sorensen squeeze, I'm being conservative here. I think it was around the £600 mark. And at the time, there was absolutely nothing that did what Sorensen squeeze did. So you did not have a choice. If you had clients that wanted videos processing, you had no choice. And I look at Handbrake now and I look, I think back to Sorensen squeeze. Handbrake, million miles ahead of it. Absolutely million miles ahead. So I, I would happily pay for that. But that's just me willfully throwing money away, aren't I? Mm, yes. Anyway. I I cast. <clears throat> Never said a thing. Carry on. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Map Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, your comments, your queries by email to mapbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. How about leaving a comment on the show notes at mapbytes.co.uk? You can follow MapBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MapBytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MapBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What are you doing with the clipboard? I'm taking this equality thing very seriously. What equality thing? The bra thing. I thought we should help out and catalogue the contents of Mike's underwear drawer. Can I help? If you're suitably kitted out, yes. Are you ready? Latex gloves. Check. Surgical mask. Check. Pegs. Check. Three foot tongs. Check. Absolutely, I'm ready. How far have you got? Boxers. Wife runs. Jockeys. Budgie smugglers. Speedos. Trollers. Bloomers. Pantaloons. Combinations. Thongs. Thongs? Yes, a pair of them. Jane sent them to Mike from Oz a while back. A MacBiter sent Mike some underwear? No, he wears them on his feet. His feet? It's an Australian thing. Don't worry about it. Okay, what's next? Tidy whities Tidy what? Definitely don't overthink that one. Oh yuck. And these. What are they? Are you sure you've got them the right way up? I can't swear to it, no. It's a scarf, isn't it? Not with elastic in that shape. Let me Google it. O-M-G. There's a photo. It's something called a mankini. Let me see. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely. Oh my eyes. How are we supposed to describe that? I seriously don't know. Hang on, I have an idea. You have an idea? That won't end well. Alexa, what's a mankini? Mankini is usually defined as a kind of sling bikini worn by men. A sling? What kind of definition is that? A sling is supposed to support something, surely? 
Think about it. Right, I'm beginning to feel nauseous. You know what? I think Apple had this right in the first place. Boys' knickers are best left out of any classification system created.